Our guest today is the man who ultimately got Dan Rather fired from CBS. This is a special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and the Deep State and lets you in on the news that traditional talk, talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 366 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Friday, March 31st, 2023. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refused to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, click on the button that says Become a Patron, and we really appreciate all of our patrons. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports podcast, Red Pill Sports, with my friend Donnie Copeland, which drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. Okay, the first thing I want to do here is to read what Wikipedia says about what's called the Killian Documents controversy, and then we'll introduce our guest today. So here's what Wikipedia says in this section on their page about Dan Rather. On September 8, 2004, Rather reported on 60 Minutes Wednesday that a series of memos critical of President George W. Bush's Texas Air National Guard Service record had been discovered in the personal files of Lieutenant Bush's former commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Jerry B. Killian. Once copies of the documents were made available on the Internet, their authenticity was quickly called into question. Much of this was based on the fact that the documents were proportionally printed and displayed using other modern typographic conventions usually unavailable on military typewriters of the 1970s. The font used on the documents has characteristics that exactly or almost exactly match standard font features of Microsoft Word. This led to claims that the memos were forgeries. The accusations then spread over the following days into mainstream media outlets, including the Washington Post the New York Times, and the Chicago Sun-Times. Rather, and CBS initially defended the story, insisting the documents had been authenticated by experts. CBS was contradicted by some of the experts it originally cited and later reported that its source for the documents, former Texas Army National Guard Officer Lieutenant Colonel Bill Burkett, had misled the network about how he had obtained them. On September twentieth, two 2004, CBS retracted the story, Rather said, at the time, if I knew then what I know now, I would not have gone ahead with the story as it was aired, and I certainly would not have used the documents in question. The controversy has been referred to by some as Memogate or Rathergate. Following an investigation commissioned by CBS, they fired story producer Mary Mapes, asked three other producers connected with the story to resign. Many believe Rather's retirement was hastened by this incident. On September 20th, 2007, Rather was interviewed on Larry King Live, saying, quoting now, 
Nobody has proved that they were fraudulent, much less a forgery. The truth of the story stands up to this day, unquote. So that's what Wikipedia says. I guess the secret of being a successful con artist is never giving up the con. The old saying comes to mind, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Now let's introduce our guest, attorney Harry McDougald, co-managing partner at Caldwell Props and Deloach, LLP in Atlanta, and find out what really happened. Mr. McDougald, it's an honor to welcome you to the Doc Washburn Show. How are you doing today, Counselor? I'm doing fantastic, and the honor is all mine. Well, thank you so much. If it pleases the court, I'd like to ask how you got involved in the Dan Rather controversy. If I understand correctly, you actually had a prior legal case concerning fonts, and I'd also like to know if Wikipedia got anything wrong in their description of how this whole thing went down. All right, so taking the last point first, uh, that and recitation from Wikipedia seems accurate. I didn't really hear anything that I thought was wrong factually in that. Um, you know, the more contested the Wikipedia entry is politically, the less reliable it is. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of how I got involved, um, so, yes, I did know something about fonts and typography when I came into this uh, for two reasons. One Back in 1989, our law firm uh, installed a network of Macintosh computers, and the software that we used for word processing was Microsoft Word for Mac version 4. And back in those days, they gave you a printed manual, and I actually uh, read at least parts of that manual. And in the beginning, they had a uh, brief discussion of the history of typography, that placed um, the electronic proportionally spaced fonts in their historical context as a matter of the evolution of printing technology. Wow. And so, uh, you know, originally it was lead type. That was uh, hot lead type. That was generally going to be proportionally spaced, uh, uh, like in the old books that you may see at the library. Uh, Then when typewriters came along, they switched to, for typewriters, they used monospace fonts because of the technical limitations of typewriters. The machine could not know what the next character was going to be, and so they were all the same width. And so every time you type a key on a typewriter, it would move the platen the same distance, or even with a selectric typewriter, it moved the type ball the same distance. So I knew about that. I had used, I'm, all, I'm of the age bracket, where I had personal experience with typewriters and then a large variety of different types of computer printers. So I had some kind of walking around knowledge about that. And I prepared my own documents uh, on the computer and I would, you know, had uh, all the settings, all the fonts. So I knew how to work with that stuff and knew what it looked like. So going into the 2004 election, um, that was all in my head. Uh, but even before that, I had had a case in uh, federal district court in Atlanta where I uh, ran afoul of the local rule governing the font size in court filings. Uh-oh. And the back, the back story on that was uh, I was responding to a summary judgment motion. I was having a terrible time fitting within the court's page limit and I'd been using a proportionally spaced font for federal court filings for many years, 
But on that occasion, I switched to a smaller font. And the uh, other side in the case moved to strike the brief for noncompliance with the local rule on fonts, which required um, essentially uh, 10-character-per-inch font, which would be a monospace font. So I was faced with the prospect of losing this case because of a font rule. And uh, I can promise you, nothing will galvanize your attention on the subject of fonts uh, like that. Yeah, really. So I, I, uh, I filed a response to the motion and explained, you know, how the font stuff works and uh, that now that everybody has computers for their documents, uh, 10 printed characters per inch rule uh, didn't make any sense. And anyway, I had to refile the brief, had to recast it, I had to do it in Courier 10, and I had to cut probably half of the brief out in order to fit within the page limit. So that was my painful experience with fonts. Then we come along to the uh, Bush National Guard memos. Um, I knew the story was coming because CBS had teased it, uh, and I knew that there had been some sort of rumblings about Bush's National Guard service when he had run for governor but they had never really amounted to anything. They'd never really panned out. Yeah. So um, I was, you know, I was then, was before, and am now a news junkie. So I follow the news, you know, very avidly. And at the time, I um, had uh, logged on to freerepublic.com, uh, which is kind of a bulletin board discussion forum, Uh and there was a story from the New York Times about the Bush National Guard story. This is about 11.30, 11.40 that night. I did not watch the program, but the story reported on the program. And down in the comments below it, uh, one of the users posted a link to the Killian documents that CBS had put up on their website. Oh, okay, yeah. So I, so I clicked on that. And, uh, you know, made my way to the document, and I think I was on a DSL line at the time, so it was kind of slow, and, you know, the, a PDF page would load. You could watch the progress of the loading. It didn't come up all at once. But before the first document had even finished loading, I knew that they had to be fakes because it, I just instantly flashed on them being in a proportionally spaced font, and I knew there was just no way that a memo to file that had been prepared in 1971 or 72 or 73 could have been in a proportionally spaced font because at that time you would have needed typesetting equipment to create a document that looked like that. Yeah. And that, that was just ridiculous. That was completely impossible. And then you had kind of the other surrounding circumstances that it was, it was just so perfect for the story they wanted to tell um, and a lifeline for Kerry and while he was uh, undergoing a swift boat, um, you know, ads and, and controversy. And so the whole thing sort of stank to high heaven. And I composed a post to describe why I felt they were fakes. And I was just about to hit post and I was like, well, you know, I better look at the other ones too before I go mouthing off. And so I looked at the other ones, and they were all the, they were all the same. Um, 
all the same font. And uh, so I, po- I posted it. And I said, all these documents uh, are in a proportionally spaced font. Um, and they didn't, you know, they looked like uh, multiple generation copies and they were probably forgeries and that it should be looked into. And you'd have thought uh, it was a small atom bomb. It, it really, the story really took off. As you described, uh, it was a lead story the next day on basically every network except CBS. Wow. That's that is amazing, and you know what a great public service. Even though you might not have realized at the time, you were providing and starting the ball rolling uh, for eventually the ouster of Dan Rather from his position anchoring the CBS Evening News. I recall seeing an article a little bit later on uh, after the scandal, you know, had broken widespread, which explained in detail why he probably thought he could get away with it. It went into uh, great detail about one false story after another that CBS had propagated over the years. Uh, I wish I could remember who wrote the article, what site it was on, because it was an invaluable historical document of their track record of doing that kind of thing. But um, but rather, and his producer, Mary Mapes, in their glee to say, hey, the Internet, oh, let's put the documents out there, sure. I just don't think they were ready for the newfound ability that regular citizens had of using the same Internet to investigate and to you know, eventually prove media types were lying, were they? Well, I think that's exactly right. You know, it's a, a very on-point observation um, that it reflected a new reality in the information economy. Uh, and, in the, and I think I may have read the same article. I can't remember who wrote it either. But they had a catchphrase um, at CBS, which was, F them all, right? Y- Yikes. If somebody complained about a story, they would, uh, around the office, they would say to each other, F them all. And that was how, you know, you go back to the Westmoreland uh, libel case. Well, there was no Internet back then. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, many people's lives have been upended destructively by CBS News reporting or 60 Minutes reporting in particular. And people whose, uh, you know, whose lives were destroyed by reporting they considered to be completely false, and they had absolutely no recourse and no way to prove that any of it was fake. And so the internet comes along, and you know, it, there are good things and bad things about it. But one of the good things was that it formed uh, communities of interest uh, who could marshal their collective knowledge and bring it to bear on a question like this. And so if you happen to be uh, interested in it, you can go back to the thread where I made that first comment, and then in the following comments, dozens of other people chimed in with their observations about points that called the authenticity of the documents into question that I had not noticed myself or that required background knowledge that I didn't have. Yeah. Ex-Air Force, uh, Force guy, a fellow who went by the handle KC Tanker, he'd been in the Air Force for many years, and he knew how they formatted their memos. And, you know, it's a small thing, but they would left justify the date, not center it. Wow. Uh, they would left justify the signature block. 
So no, if, I, if I understand well, correctly... Know, there are dozens of details like that yeah. that impeach the documents. If I understand correctly, what you're suggesting is, to this day, 18 and a half years later, somebody could go to freerepublic.com and somehow find your comments from September 8th, 2004, uh, and, uh, and just look at what you said and, and, yeah. and all these other people. I guess... Right, uh, I guess they would have to do a, a keyword search for um, George W. Bush, Texas Air National Guard, something like that. But but if you if you stick with it, you can find what 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 you're looking for, your comments, yeah. and all the people responding. That's right. I haven't looked at it myself in a long time, but I feel confident that that's still up and it can be found. And it is quite interesting. And there's another so there's one part of this uh, technology revolution that changed that I want to touch on, and then I want to come back to uh, one, uh, my, how my age fits into it. Yeah. All right, so the, uh, the technical point is it was a, the Internet was analogized by many uh, observers to sort of a, a Gutenberg-type revolution where information, it's disru- uh, the Internet is disruptive of information oligarchies. Yeah. This is the invention of the printing press was disruptive to information oligarchies, although at the time of Gutenberg, the primary institution that was disrupted was the church, whereas now, uh, in, or back 2004, it was the mainstream media uh, oligopoly over what news was consumed, distributed well, and consumed. You, you, and make, so you if, make a good... If you remember Drudge, the Drudge Manifesto, yeah. uh, every citizen is a reporter. Right. So that sort of captures the idea. And um, the other thing, wh- why did it take off? I mean, there, there's a million Internet comments where somebody thinks they've cracked a big nut and figured something out, and it never goes anywhere. Yeah. Like, it's just, a, it's just an empty uh, echo. In this case, because it was on Free Republic and it's kind of a conservative uh, community, and but anybody in my age cohort, the minute you pointed out to them, hey, that would have been done on a typewriter back then, and this is obviously not on a typewriter. Yeah. Anybody that lived through that instantly picked up on that. So you see comments going, that's right, that's right, and then they started digging. And then the military people came in with their background, and the thing just unraveled from there. So if this happened today, though... Um, on this conservative bulletin board site and everybody going nuts, I highly doubt that the New York Times, Washington Post, and Chicago Sun-Times would pick it up the next day or pick it up at all because at, at this point the mainstream media is so tribal, you know, uh, they, they're ignoring Hunter Biden's laptop. So, I, you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't think they would pick this story up. We, we live in a different world than we did 2004, right? I think that's exactly right. Now, one before I forget it, I want to mention the role that the Powerline blog played in propagating the story. So around 6 o'clock the next morning, um, Scott Johnson at Powerline put up a post that he called the 61st Minute and collected wow. their um, incoming observations from their readers about whether the documents were authentic or not. And that's significant in the propagation of the story because Powerline is highly leveraged within the media world. 
lots and lots of reporters, editors, news, you know, uh, people that are in the mainstream media read Powerline. And I knew that at the time. So when they picked it up, I felt like this story was going to really take off. Oh. And, um, so, and, and it, and it did. You know, they started it at six o'clock in the morning and it was the number one story by 6 p.m. that night. The same thing that Drudge had done a few years earlier when Newsweek decided to sit on the Monica Lewinsky story and yeah. uh, Drudge Report, which none of us had ever heard of before, uh, blasted it out there. And within a few days, the whole mainstream media was talking about it because they had to talk about it. Right, right. And so you made the uh, point that the media is more tribal now, and I think that's 100% accurate. Uh, you know, and you maybe say it's 200% accurate uh, because, you know, back in the day, uh, people would say, well, you know, we just need to get to the bottom of it so that the institutions uh, in the media can reform themselves. Yeah. Well, that has, that has been a vain hope because with each new media scandal, they just get worse. Oh, yeah. They just get worse. And, you know, the um, and you see it every day now. I mean, you see it just this week uh, with the transgender uh, shooter in Nashville. Yeah. I mean, it's the they are enforcing the narrative uh, at all times, in all circumstances, by any means that they can contrive. And it's absolutely beyond belief. It's absolutely beyond belief. No shame at all. Whereas, at least in the Rathergate situation, in some corners of the media, there was shame. Yeah. A couple of weeks before the um, shooting at the Covenant Christian School in Nashville by the uh, self-described transgender person, Jane Fonda was on The View, and uh, Jane Fonda endorsed the idea of murdering pro-lifers. And, you know, I I haven't noticed uh, any news accounts of the FBI uh, knocking on her door at 6 o'clock in the morning. That's right. It's it's outrageous. So what does it tell us about the state of the mainstream media, even 15 years or so ago in our country, that after Rather was found out to be such a dangerous liar and did lose his job with CBS, that the rest of the media circled the wagons around him, gave him awards, and to this day regards him at age 91 as an elder statesman standing up for the truth, justice in the American way. Well, I guess they just feel like they can't put up with people like me criticizing them from the cheap seats. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they feel like they're doing the hard work of saving democracy by spreading lies and suppressing truth, and they can't be bothered by, uh, you know, ordinary people. Uh, saying, hey, wait a minute, that, that's not true. They can't have that. And you look at the magnitude of the censorship that the government has undertaken with and through social media, and it's absolutely unbelievable. That story probably would have been uh, censored if the current uh, censorship regime had been in place back then. Yeah, well, more and more people are starting to call the censorship industrial complex. Yeah, yeah that's a great term for it because it's a combination of government, academia, and industry, mostly almost entirely funded by government money. The government gives grants to these uh, university uh, researchers to figure out how to identify uh, 
content they don't approve of, and then they lean on the social media companies to suppress it, and they comply. And most Americans don't hear about it. Most Americans have no idea about uh, uh, Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi and the Twitter files. Mm -hmm. They have no idea. They haven't heard about it. Most Americans have no idea that the FBI offered Christopher Steele a million dollars several years ago if he could corroborate the stuff in the Steele dossier, and he turned down a million bucks because there was nothing there. They don't have any idea that the FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop starting in 2019 and sat on it, and that the FBI director was silent when 51 uh, former intel agency types, including four or five former CIA directors, said, well, this story has all the classic earmarks of Russian disinformation. Americans don't have any idea. Yeah, I mean, everything you listed is uh, is an incredible fact. Like, it's absolutely mind-boggling that any of those things would occur. And when that they all occurred is even more mind-boggling. I mean, where are we as a country? Uh, and, and, the, and the, you know, it's, it's an, there's an interesting phenomenon, and you're part of it, uh, Doc, which is this sort of underground information economy, if you could be considered underground compared to mainstream media. Sure. But there are, there's a huge segment of the population that learns what they think they know about, you know, politics and the culture from Joe Rogan. Yeah. Joe Rogan's a big, a big, big show. And you, you get people who are not overtly political, not overtly politicized. They like sports. They like this, that, and the other. Well, they tune into Joe Rogan, and they're learning all about this stuff. Yeah. And, I, uh, you know, I had, uh, had an example. I, w- I happened to be in a went skiing la- this past week. And I get in the sauna, and I, there are people in there from all over the country. From, from every social strata, uh, and they all listened to Joe Rogan, and they all knew all about, you know, the vax and the lockdowns and Peter McCullough and one thing after, and they knew about the Twitter files. They knew all about it. Wow. So despite the, uh, you know, all the king's horses and all the king's men trying to keep these narratives in one piece, they're constantly being undermined and from a lot of different directions, but it's, I think it was Glenn Reynolds referred to it as an army of Davids, uh, yeah. and that's kind of how it rolls. But it's a, you know, super interesting culturally. But who's going to win this fight? Yeah, Glenn Reynolds, the instapundit guy. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. w- w- and and Rogan is one of the reasons that almost eighteen months into doing this podcast, it has occurred to us. You know, we really need to go video. So we hope to be able to uh, to do that here in the next few weeks. Now, before I ask you... Well, it's, it's a good thing you don't have me on because uh, I think my wife may have said that I had a face for radio and a voice for silent pictures. <laughs> that, that, that is mildly amusing. Yeah, I got the face for radio, but we're going to give it the best shot. Now, before I ask the next question, I just want to say um, to anyone listening to this, if you know... The title of the article and who wrote it, and maybe what site it was on, uh, that uh, that Attorney McDougald and I talked about how CBS, or rather, thought they could get away with it, detailing a list of past lies CBS had fomented, and it would have been from somewhere around oh four, oh five, oh six. Um, email us contact at docwashburnshow.com. I would dearly love to get that article again and 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 keep it for posterity, and I'm sure 
uh, Brother McDougald would too. I'll pass it on to you if, if somebody lets us know about it. But uh, as we do this interview, we're less than 24 hours away from New York County District Attorney Alvin Bragg having announced that a New York City grand jury has indicted former President Trump. Since you are an attorney, I thought it would be a good idea to ask for your thoughts about this prosecution. Okay, so let me offer a couple of caveats first. One is no one outside of that office has actually seen the indictment, so we don't know exactly what it says. And then secondly, I don't practice criminal law. Uh, so my observations about it would be somewhat limited. But, the, you know, there have been quite a few pieces analyzing what people believe the theory of that case to be. Yeah. And it seems extremely rickety, uh, you know, a very kind of novel and creative cobbling together. And in legal circles, when that, somebody says you have a creative argument, that's not usually a compliment. <laughs> so, sometimes it is, but uh, typically it, it, it's not. And in this one, uh, you know, if it's about the payments to Stormy Daniels, um, you know, there, I, there, it, it's it's a. It sounds absurd on its face. I mean, they've taken a, uh, a crime that's got a two-year statute of limitations, which is a business record-keeping crime, um, and that's a misdemeanor, and then they're stacking that on top of a alleged campaign finance violation, which was investigated out the wazoo by federal uh, prosecutors uh, in to a couple of different offices, uh, FEC and the Mueller team. I mean, if the Mueller team didn't think there was anything to it, given how rabid they were to get Trump, uh, why does Alvin Bragg think there's anything to it? So they're stacking up a, a couple of very bad and legally invalid theories and, uh, and trying to say that the result is a valid criminal prosecution. So that just on its face, I think it was John Doe, it would be a bad case, okay? Now you're talking about a former president of the United States, and it's it's different in kind. It's different in nature because it there's so many elements of this that indicate that it is purely politically motivated to try to destroy and stop Donald Trump, which has been the obsession of the Democrats since he came down the escalator in 2016. So the it's it's a new day, right? And the yeah. the likelihood or the risk of uh respond of Republicans somewhere responding in kind is higher than it was yesterday. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, somebody might do it and it, it that's all extremely bad for our country, um, you know, and I, I'll confess to having watched in frustration as one senior Democrat politician after another gets away with what seemed to be heinous crimes. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, they were never prosecuted because the calmer heads would say, oh, well, we don't want to open Pandora's box. We don't want to go down this path because there'll be no end to it. 
Well, now the box is open. Yeah, they've opened and it now. Yeah. I don't think anything good is going to come of it. Um, a lot of people were very pessimistic and gloomy about the direction that we're heading, and this is part of why they feel that way. Uh, but, the, you know, the sort of cultural aggression of the Democrats and of the Biden White House against their political enemies domestically, it's, it, I think it may be the worst that it's ever been in our history. Now, it's hard to say that because we had a civil war, but they, they rub our noses in it every chance they get. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, there, I, I saw Glenn Beck last night saying the idea was to provoke Republicans into doing something stupid so they could crack down even further. Oh, yeah, they would, they would love uh, to see violence. Another, another Reichstag fire scenario, if you sure. didn't think January 6th was that already. Yeah, when, when, you, when you use the term creative prosecution, would it be fair to describe this as the mother of all first impressions? Yeah, I mean, it's, well, I mean, you don't need, uh, I think it's worse than that, right? Because the underlying alleged campaign finance violation is completely bogus because it was not campaign money. So right. it's not even a case of first impression. We already know that's, bo- that's a bogus theory. Yeah. Okay. It's it's BS. It's bogus. And then you pile on top of that a, a New York record keep business record keeping statute that is a misdemeanor that has a two year statute of limitations, and we're we're multiples beyond two years. Well, that's that's not a case of first impression either. Cases are dismissed for statute of limitations grounds in the tens of thousands every day. And they're and they're not brought. I mean, I turn them down on a regular basis. Well, that that you know, this claim's barred by the statute of limitations. By the way, the statute of limitations is part of the rule of law. Right. So all these people that are uh, going on and on about the rule of law, how can they use that rhetoric when it's a, a completely ridiculous and bogus theory of campaign finance violation? One and two, a completely bogus record-keeping theory that's barred by the statute of limitations. It's not the rule of law; it's the perversion of the law to get a political enemy. And just about everybody sees that very clearly. And you know, I I appreciate your humility at the start of talking about this, saying, "Well, look, you know, I'm not. I don't practice criminal law, but obviously, you went to law school, so you're doing a pretty good job of this." The concern a lot of people have, uh, and uh, the great Julie Kelly, who's written a lot about January 6th situations over at uh, uh, America Greatness, amgreatness.com, months ago, she was saying, look, they're going to indict Trump, uh, you know, uh, right. as fast as your seatbelt. This is going to happen. And the concern that she mentioned at the time was, since in Manhattan, you got like 85% of the people voted for Biden, only 12% voted for Trump. And a lot of people there just have a visceral hatred for Donald Trump that they didn't have before he went down the golden escalator. They, they loved him back in the day. But since they have a visceral hatred for him, and since, you know, the old saying, you get a grand jury to uh, indict a ham sandwich, the concern is that 
regardless of the fact no laws are actually broken, regardless of the fact statutory limitations have gone for years, regardless of the fact, like you say, this is a very novel approach to the law, you're probably going to have a jury full of people that are itching to put him in an orange jumpsuit regardless of all that. And you'll probably have liberal judge that probably appeal to a, a liberal appeals court. You're probably going to have to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to undo this. And even though there's no merit to the case whatsoever, one would think that former President Trump is actually in great legal jeopardy. Well, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, obviously, those are all valid concerns. Um, but uh, a judge may step up and enforce the law yeah. properly. That's always, uh, I mean, that's, if we didn't believe that, we'd, uh, you know, uh, and that's kind of our la- one of our last bastions to defend uh, to defend the republic. Right. Uh, so they, we need a judge to have the courage to step up and do something. I don't know anything about the judges in New York City um, or the uh, New York appellate system. Um, so I can't, I can't really say, I mean, the jury pool is going to be largely against Trump, but I mean, I would say the New York jury pool would be better for him than the Washington DC jury pool. True. Um, so they may, they may, uh, solve the problem for him, but if he goes to trial, uh, you know, you never, nobody ever really knows what'll happen once the case starts and you start putting on evidence. Um, and it depends a lot on how the lawyers do and what the judge lets in, what he keeps out. Um, but yeah, it's not good. I mean, you don't. I don't think it's, you, you'd rather not be indicted, whoever you are. And you know, given the political motivations and overtones of the whole affair, uh, yeah, that risk certainly exists. And you know, if they, he gets indicted in Washington D.C., it'll be uh, just the same, only more so. And should he be indicted in Fulton County, um, you know, I think he would have a better jury because the case would be removed to federal court almost certainly. And the federal court jury pool draws from the northern district of Georgia, which is much bigger um, and includes areas where he is more popular than just Fulton County. I'm glad you mentioned that because I have been remiss in my duty to uh, to mention uh, the uh, possibility that he could be indicted in Fulton County, uh, Georgia, for you know for people outside of Georgia. That's Atlanta, uh, correct? And uh, that that is a serious concern, also. But but I appreciate you pointing out that if it gets removed to federal court, which it probably would be then you're looking at the whole northern district of Georgia, right. which is probably redder than Fulton County is blue, and maybe, you know, he gets a fair day in court and if he gets indicted yeah, in Georgia. Certain parts of it, yeah, certain parts of it are, you know, as red as can be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not intimately familiar with the mechanics of jury selection in the northern district. It's been a long time since I tried a case in that court. Um, but it's going to draw from more than Fulton County, I know that. Uh, whether it goes up to, say, Rome, Georgia, I, I don't know. That There's a separate division for Rome. So somebody that knows more about Northern District yeah. jury pool than me can answer that question. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, the, the, uh, the Fulton thing is quite interesting. I, I think they're likely to 
indict some people for some things, but I don't know, I can't evaluate whether they intend to indict Trump himself. Wow. I just don't know. I just don't know. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation um, with you, sir. And um, for my listeners, attorney Harry McDougald, again, co-managing partner at Caldwell, Propst, and Deloach, LLP in Atlanta. I, I hope I'm pronouncing those names correctly. Well, uh, let me let me jump in. We did change our firm name, and so we're now uh, known as Caldwell, Carlson, Elliott, and Deloach. Ah. Uh, Floyd, Floyd Probst uh, has gone to his retirement, and he was the best probate judge in Georgia for 25 years on the Fulton County Probate Court, and I was honored to practice law with him for uh, you know, quite a number of years. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you coming on the program and uh, spending uh, a lot more time with us than, than we had planned, but um, you you had such great answers. Uh, where does the time go? Well, as as a fellow Southerner, of course, I want to say, as, as we like to say at the end of interviews on the Doc Washburn Show, y'all come see us. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, best of luck going forward. All right. God bless you, sir. Thank you very much. Right, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Wow. That was a what, – what, what, a, what a thrill that was. That was a, a great honor, uh, having Attorney McDougald on on the program. And I certainly hope we can do that again one of these days. Uh, I did find – an article about a previous Rathergate years earlier. And I want to share that with you coming up. It's not, it's not the entire record of the many false stories that CBS did, but it's a big one. And that's coming right up next. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to, online. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to RedRiverAuto.com, pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online, and if you have any questions, one of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental U.S., redriverauto.com. You'll be glad you did. I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines? The Arkansas Cervical Center might be able to help you. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, 
which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it has never come back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, even migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. If you're outside Central Arkansas, just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says Find a Doctor Near You, and I sure hope you can. Well, as you probably know by now, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. And he's done it again, introducing MyPillow 2.0. MyPillow 2.0 has a brand new temperature-regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. MyPillow 2.0's new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. This new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature through the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. You know, your core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. MyPillow 2.0 was developed to provide a cool surface. It's engineered for comfort. MyPillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels. It's machine washable and dryable, and there's a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. As a special introductory offer for my listeners, when you buy your new MyPillow 2.0, you get a second one free just by using promo code DWS. Mike also created the best bed sheets ever. They look great. They feel great. The Giza Dreams Sheets. That means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. My wife and I just love sleeping on our Giza Dream Sheets. Now, Mike is offering the best deal on his Giza Dream Sheets. Buy a set of Giza Sheets, get one free. The first night you sleep on these sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else again. Mike is making a special offer for my listeners. Buy a set of Giza Sheets and get one free just by using promo code DWS. MyPillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles. Like plush, waffle, or gossamer. Get huge discounts on blankets, duvets, quilts, down comforters, and so much more. Use that promo code DWS, and you'll get huge discounts on all MyPillow bedding, including MyPillow 2.0 and Giza Dream Sheets. Buy one, get one free. I'm wearing my new My Slippers moccasins. Even as we speak, I had no idea slippers could feel this good. Right now, save on My Slippers, slip-ons and moccasins. Closeout sale price at just $25 by using promo code DWS. Not only that, Mike is having the biggest closeout sale ever on his sandals for just $19.98. What makes my slippers different is Mike's exclusive four-layer design that you're not going to find in any other slippers. My slippers' patented layers make them ultra-comfortable, extremely durable, 
and they help reduce stress on your feet. Wear them anytime, anytime, anywhere. Just use promo code DWS. Now, remember, that promo code does not stand for washed-up Democrat politician Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, no. It stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code DWS. All right, now let's look at an article called The First Rathergate by Ann Morse over the National Review, September 15th, 2004, subtitled The CBS Anchor's Precarious Relationship with the truth. Now remember, remember, earlier I told you that when CBS withdrew the story, September 20th, 2004, Rather said, hey, if I'd known then what I know now, man, I never would have gone with this. But then in 07, after he left CBS, he told Larry King Live, it was a true story, there's nothing wrong with it, nobody proved anything was wrong. That's Dan Rather, okay? Here's the National Review, Ann Moore, September 15, 2004. She says, critics are calling the media scandal over the Jerry Killian forgeries Rathergate. Now, remember, this is five days before CBS retracted. But to thousands of Vietnam veterans, the real Rathergate took place 16 years ago when Dan Rather successfully foisted a fraud onto the American people. Then, unlike now, there was no blogosphere to expose him. On June 2nd, 1988, CBS aired an hour-long special titled CBS Reports, The Wall Within, which CBS trumpeted as the rebirth of the TV documentary. It purported to tell the true story of Vietnam through the eyes of six of the men who fought there and what terrible stories they had to tell. Steve Southards, a Navy SEAL, who told Rather he had escaped society to live in the forests of Washington State, said, I think I was one of the highest trained, underpaid, 18-cent-an-hour assassins ever put together by a team of people who knew exactly what they were looking for. Under Rather's gentle coaxing, Steve Southards described slaughtering Vietnamese civilians making his work appear to be that of the North Vietnamese. Dan Rather asked him, You're telling me that you went into the village, killed people, burned part of the village, then made it appear that the other side had done this? Steve Southards replied, Yeah, it was kill VC, and I was good at what I did. Dan Rather intoned, Steve Southard arrived home in a straitjacket, addicted to alcohol and drugs, knowing... That combat had made him different. He asked for help. That's unusual. Many vets don't. They hold back until they explode. Rather than moved on to suicidal veteran George Gruel, who was stationed on the aircraft carrier Ticonderoga off the coast of Vietnam during a secret mission. Gruel described the horror 
of watching a friend walk into the spinning propeller of a plane which chopped into pieces and sprayed Gruel with his blood. The memory of this trauma left Gruel, like Steve, unable to function in normal society. Neither could Michael Rice, who broke down as he described the grenade attack at Cameron Bay, which blew in half the body of a buddy whom he called Sergeant Call. Rice tearfully recalled, he died in my arms. Rice described how the sound of thunder and cars backfiring would regularly trigger his terrible memories. Most horrific of all the memories of Terry Bradley, a fighting sergeant who told rather he had skinned alive 50 Vietnamese men, women, and children in one hour and stacked their bodies in piles. Bradley said, could you do this for one hour of your life? You stack up every way a body could be mangled, up into a body, an arm, a blank, an eyeball. Imagine us over there for a year and doing it intentionally. That is sick. Dan Rather replied, you've got to be angry about it. Bradley responded, I'm suicidal about it. Post-traumatic stress disorder, drug abuse, alcoholism, joblessness, homelessness, suicidal thoughts, These tattered warriors suffered from them all. The CBS documentary, The Wall Within, was hailed by critics who, like the Washington Post, Tom Shales, gushed that the documentary was extraordinarily powerful. Uh, There was just one problem. Almost none of it was true. The truth was uncovered by B.G. Burkett, a Vietnam veteran and author of the book with Glenna Whitley, entitled Stolen Valor, How the Vietnam Generation Was Robbed of Its Heroes and Its History. Burkett discovered that only one of the vets had actually served in combat. Steve Southards, who had claimed to be a 16-year-old Navy SEAL assassin, had actually served as an equipment repairman stationed far from combat. Later transferred to Subic Bay in the Philippines, Steve Southards spent most of his time in the brig for repeatedly going AWOL. George Gruel, who claimed he was traumatized by the sight of his friend being chopped to pieces by a propeller? Navy records reveal that a propeller accident did play, take place on the Ticonderoga while Gruel was aboard, but he, that he wasn't around when it happened. During Gruel's tour, the ship had been converted to an anti-submarine warfare carrier which operated not on secret mission along the Vietnam coast, but on training missions off the California coastline. Imagine that, getting the California coast confused with the Vietnam coastline. I guess it happens all the time, huh? But I digress. Nevertheless, Burkett notes in his book, Gruel receives $1,952 a month from the Veterans Administration for psychological trauma related to an event he only heard about, Michael Rice, the anguished veteran who claimed to have cradled his dying buddy in his arms, actually spent his tour as a guard with a military police company at Cameron Bay. He never saw combat. Neither did Terry Bradley, who was not the fighting sergeant, he had claimed to be, 
Instead, military records reveal he served as an ammo handler in the 25th Infantry Division and spent nearly a year in the stockade for being AWOL. Now, that's good news for the hundreds of Vietnamese civilians Bradley claimed to have slaughtered, but it doesn't say much for Dan Rather's credibility. As Burkett notes in his book, the records of all of these veterans were easily checkable through Freedom of Information Act requests of their military records, something Dan Rather and his producers simply didn't bother to do. They accepted at face value the lurid tales of atrocities committed in Vietnam and the stories of criminal behavior, drug addiction, and despair at home. Perhaps that's because this is what they wanted to believe. Again, Burkett says, the wall within CBS documentary precisely fit what Americans have grown to believe about the Vietnam War and its veterans. They routinely committed war crimes. They came home from an immoral war, traumatized, vilified, then pitied, jobless, homeless, addicted, suicidal. They remain afflicted by inner conflicts, stranded on the fringes of society. Burkett, who did check the records of the veterans Dan Rather interviewed, shared his discoveries with CBS. So did Thomas Turnage, then administrator of the Veterans Administration, who was appalled by Dan Rather's use of bogus statistics on the rates of suicide, homelessness, and mental illness among Vietnam veterans, statistics that can also be easily checked. Dan Rather initially refused to comment, and CBS spokeswoman Kim Akthar said the producers stand behind their story. They had enough proof of who they are. For his part, CBS president Howard Stringer defended the network with irrelevancies. He sniffed, your criticisms were not shared by a vast majority of our viewers, adding that CBS News and its affiliates received acclaim from most quarters. In some, this was a broadcast of which we at CBS News and I personally am proud. There are no apologies to make. Sarah Lee Pilly, who ran a restaurant in Colville, Washington, where the CBS crew dined while filming the Wall Within documentary, would not agree. See, she's the wife of a retired Marine lieutenant colonel who actually did see combat in Vietnam. Pilly said she got the distinct feeling that CBS had a story they had decided on before they left New York. After interviewing 87 Vietnam veterans, CBS chose the four or five saddest cases to put on the film, according to Pilly. She said the factual part of it didn't seem to matter as long as they captured the high drama and emotion that these few individuals offered. We felt all along that CBS committed tremendous exploitation of some very sick individuals. Now, why would Dan Rather do such a thing? Partly because the stories of deranged tripwire veterans is much more dramatic than the true story. That most Vietnam veterans came home to live normal, productive, happy lives. Second, Dan Rather apparently wanted the story of whacked-out Vietnam veterans to be true. 
just as he now wants the Jerry Killian story about George W. Bush and the Texas Air National Guard in the early 70s to be true. Or maybe, despite a preponderance of the evidence, he considered the the sources of these tales of Vietnam atrocities unimpeachable. As angry Vietnam veterans began calling CBS to complain about the factual inaccuracies of the Wall Within documentary, Perry Wolf, the executive producer who wrote the documentary, claimed that no one has, has attacked us on the facts. Despite the growing evidence that he had been had, Rather also continued to defend the documentary, which is now part of CBS's video history series on the Vietnam War. Perhaps Vietnam veterans ought to take a page out of the book of the Swift Boats Veterans for Truth and air television ads exposing Dan Rather's deceits. Something along the lines of, Dan Rather lied about his Vietnam documentary, I know, I was there. I saw what happened. When the chips were down, you could not count on Dan Rather. Certainly, we cannot count on him for the truth. During a 1993 speech to the Radio and Television News Directors Association, Rather criticized his colleagues for competing with entertainment shows for what he called dead bodies, mayhem, and lurid tales. He said, we should all be ashamed of what we have and have not done, measured against what we could do. Thousands of Vietnam veterans, not to mention the Bush campaign, would agree. That is, Ann Morse, in the National Review, article entitled The First Rather Gate, subtitled The CBS Anchor's Precarious Relationship with the Truth, and that was posted September 15th, 2004, a mere five days before they retracted the story. Let's see. National Weather Service, tornado warning in this area until 2.30 p.m. Central. Take shelter now in a basement or an interior room on the lowest floor of a sturdy building. If you're outdoors in a mobile home or in a vehicle, move to the closest substantial shelter and protect yourself from flying debris check media okay yeah i think uh i think we'll do that but first this message from our sponsors at&t recently lost a lot of money on wall street after their satellite outfit direct tv decided to delete newsmax if you want to drop at&t or any of the big liberal cell phone carriers they have the perfect solution for you patriot mobile is america's only christian conservative wireless carrier now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. And Patriot Mobile guarantees your coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget along with great discounts for our veterans and first responder heroes as well as multi-line users. I know I'm saving money since I switched. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations 
that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. The great Ronald Reagan once said, Inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? Here are the profound benefits. Number one, investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. That means precious metals are an asset, commodity, or currency that maintain their value without depreciating over the long haul. And last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. So we are honored to join forces with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. Andrew has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Andrew Sorcini and his team at Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from General Michael Flynn, and we're glad we did. Andrew's a frequent guest on conservative podcasts. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is our gold buyer of choice. To learn more about Andrew and his team, go to bh-pm.com. The BH stands for Beverly Hills. The PM stands for Precious Metals, bh-pm.com. If you can't remember that, just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. No matter what search engine you use, it's the first thing that comes up. Make sure you ask about the General Mike Flynn Silver Coin. And let them know Doc Washburn sent you. We're honored to be able to tell you about Beverly Hills Precious Metals in an effort to help you in your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investments. bh-pm.com or Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Tell them Doc Washburn sent you. I've been talking about how the world is going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, and sky-high gas prices, and woke corporations to stand against everything we believe in. We all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom-and-pop businesses suffered. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned made-in-America manufacturer. SwitchToAmerica.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created, with regular folks like you and me in mind. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of Patriot influencers have come on board. 
I'm inviting you to join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We're done with the woke globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. The website is switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. Now, an even more exciting addition is fresh American-raised beef. Raised in the Montana mountains near Yellowstone, this beef is known as Never Ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. SwitchToAmerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to SwitchToAmerica.com. When it asks how you heard about us, click on my name, Doc Washburn, plug in your info, and I'll have one of my guys contact you, SwitchToAmerica.com. All right, it's about that time. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. And it's brought to you by Red River Auto. Red River Auto, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Okay, it's a two-parter today. The great podcaster Benny Johnson has a video clip, question and answer with Corrine Jean-Pierre. He says, Cringe Jean-Pierre, that's his new name for, not Corrine Jean-Pierre, but Cringe Jean-Pierre, asked about leftist insurrections at state capitals across the country. And it went something like this. And Kentucky, uh, the Kentucky legislature overrode the governor's um, veto of a bill um, that restricts aspects of trans youth, uh, uh, gender uh, affirming care, um, and uh, the use of bathrooms. Um, I know that the White House released a proclamation for trans day of visibility. Um, there is a, a march happening uh, tomorrow uh, to commemorate this day, but also to, pro- to protest these types of bills that are continuing to be passed and advanced uh, in legislatures across the country. What is the White House's message to these lawmakers that are passing these bills and to those who are taking to the streets to protest them? So look, um, first of all, we, uh, we support peaceful protest. Uh, we think it's important for Americans and people just across the country to make their voices heard, uh, just as long as it's peaceful. Uh, and we've been very clear about these anti-LGBTQ bills that we're seeing in state legislators, legislatures across the country, in particular these anti-trans bills, uh, as they attack trans kids, as they attack trans parents. Uh, it, is, it is shameful. And it is unacceptable. Uh, as you mentioned, tomorrow's Trans Visibility Day on a day that we should be lifting up our trans kids, our trans youth, and making sure that they feel seen. We're seeing more and more of these hateful, hateful bills. And uh, that's what Republicans want to spend their time on. They don't want to talk about lowering costs. They don't want to talk about actually making Americans' lives better. They want to take away people's freedoms. And one of the things that we saw during the midterm elections is that 
people don't want their freedoms to be taken. They want us to fight for their freedoms. And so it is shameful. It is disturbing. And uh, our hearts go out to uh, the the trans community as they are under attack right now. But this is a president who has said many times before he has their backs. He will continue to have their backs. uh, And he will continue to fight for them. And his record shows that. All right. So a couple of uh, responses here. First of all, Nicole says all they do all day is tell trans kids they're being genocided. These people are longing for violence, and they will use trans kids as fodder without a second thought. Real nice allies you got there. Democrats' only allies are themselves and those they can use to gain power. Another response here from Jersey Boy Media USA. We have a White House that supports the murders of three children and three adults by a deranged trans person. That's Joe Biden's America for you. Another response from L.R. Cates. Democrats love criminals. Another response from Patton 1111. No one is attacking trans kids. She needs to choose her words carefully. And another response from Bonchi over at Red State, who says a radicalized transgender terrorist just murdered six Christians, and the White House is plugging Trans Visibility Day in the same week. Tell me how this country survives long term i don't know man i I don't know brother that that, that is a really really good point and a really good question i don't know it's very unusual for a country to to uh survive in, in in as it was constituted at the start for more than 250 years when's our 250 anniversary coming up 2026 right i i don't know brother i have no idea how we survive all of this and everything else that has been going on that we have documented and chronicled episode after episode, story after story, day after day on the Doc Washburn Show. But what I do know, as we're looking around at the tornado warning, where I am on this Friday afternoon, you've been listening to episode 366 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers but they love us, and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a Terribly Messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas and care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. And that's the way it is. Friday, March 31st, 2023.